Now, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and that you would breathe life into your word to us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I, I often sit up here talking with the kids and kicking myself, knowing I'm just giving away the whole sermon. Um, is there even a point to continuing? Yes, hopefully. Hopefully I have some more to add to it. Um, as we observed a little bit last week, we've now finished celebrating the 12 days of the Christmas season, or Christmas tide, as we sometimes call it, the celebration of the birth of our Lord and Savior, celebration of the incarnation of the Word made flesh, God made man who came to dwell among us. And we've now entered the season of Epiphany, or Epiphany Tide, as we sometimes call it. So there's this book called Sacred Seasons, A Family Guide to Center Your Year Around Jesus by Danielle Hitchin, that I recently found, and I found it very interesting and very helpful in giving concise but informative explanations about the special opportunities that the church calendar gives us to learn about, to remember, and to celebrate the work of God. Now, we aren't required to focus on and or follow the calendar to the letter. If any of you got a copy of the church calendar that Liz was handing out there, uh, you'll see there's a lot of things on it that we don't pay as much attention to. Um, But keeping it in mind can be a very helpful focal point. It can be helpful in guiding us in our worship. And this book about the liturgical seasons explains that epiphany is a Latin word that means manifestation. In other words, to make known something that was previously hidden. And as the church calendar, the church here, mirrors the life of Christ The season of Epiphany is then spanning the years between Jesus' birth and the beginning of his ministry, which is a period of Jesus' life that we don't know that much about. However, as Hitchens points out in her book, Luke 2.49 does tell us that during this time in his life, Jesus was about his father's business. And Luke 2.52 tells us, that he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. And so our focus during this season is to do the same, to remind ourselves to be about our Father's business, increasing in wisdom and in favor with God and humanity. And this is why Epiphany Tide is also the season where we remind ourselves of our Great Commission, our Father's business, as handed down to us through our Savior Jesus, the reminder to manifest, to reveal what was once hidden, to share the light of the world that we've been celebrating over the Christmas season with the world, to remind ourselves of our mission to share the gospel, the reminder of Jesus' final words to his disciples found at the end of the Gospel of Matthew Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, see, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the commission to which Jesus has called and sent all of his disciples, this great, daunting, overwhelming mission. But as we often celebrate and are thankful for, Jesus promised, see, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus promised that he, Emmanuel, the word made flesh, God made man, God with us, would still be with us. And as we heard in our gospel reading this morning from John, Jesus promised his people, his followers, his church, us, that he would send help for the mission on which he has sent us all. Jesus promised he would send the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And we believe that he did, that he has. Now, before we turned our attention to the liturgical seasons in which we celebrate the coming of the light, Jesus, Advent, Christmas tide, and Epiphany tide, we were journeying together through our shared statement of faith of what we believe. We who follow the light, Jesus, what we believe together. We were journeying together through the words of the creed. And we spent some time on what is known as the first article, the first paragraph, in which we affirm what we believe about God the Father, the first person of the Holy Trinity. And then we spent a lot of time on the second article, what we believe about God the Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity. And you have probably noticed, even as we say the creed together, that there is arguably a disproportionate focus on the second article in the creed, on the second person of the Trinity, in comparison with the first and the third. And this is because the revelation, the manifestation of the light of the world, God the Son, was still very relatively recent at the time the creed was written, but also, and more importantly, it's because this revelation, this manifestation of the light of the world, God made man who came to live among us and die for us, is central to our faith, to what we believe. And this is why we spend the majority of the fall affirming that we believe in Jesus, God's only Son, our Lord. We Believe Jesus Christ is Lord and that it is by grace through faith in him as our Lord and Savior that we are saved. What follows in the creed is what follows in our lives with Jesus. After accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we accept his call to follow him. And in doing so, we accept his great commission to go where he sends us and share this light, this gift with others. And this is why along with the gift of salvation, we also need to accept the gift that Jesus offers to equip and enable us to fulfill his great commission. The gift that we need 
to accept his call to be his disciples, the gift that Jesus promised to send, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so now after all of that, our conversation today brings us to the third article of the creed, the affirmation that we believe in the Holy Spirit. And the third article of the Apostles' Creed that we often say together at this 1015 service reads like this. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. That is the third article as We affirm our faith in the third person of the Trinity, but then go on to talk about the church and our salvation. Why is this? It's because these things go hand in hand. The work of the Holy Spirit, the work of the church, and our salvation go hand in hand. And we see this especially on the day of Pentecost, the day the church was established by the coming of the Holy Spirit. But before we get into all the creed says about the church, we'll do that another time. Let's backpedal just a bit to our affirmation that we believe in the Holy Spirit. And let's ask ourselves, who, what, where, when, why, how is the Holy Spirit? Our catechism states that God, the Holy Spirit, is the third person in the one being of the Holy Trinity. This isn't a doctrine that the church concocted or just decided upon one day. This was manifested, revealed, made known to us from the very beginning. As we talked about with the kids this morning, the Bible opens in the book of Genesis saying, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So just as we've now read several times during our journey through the Creed from the opening of the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We read in Genesis that in the beginning was the Spirit, And the Spirit was with God because the Spirit was God. God the Holy Spirit, the third person in the one being of the Holy Trinity, co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father and God the Son. And we see this particularly when we observe each year on the day of Pentecost that when the Holy Spirit came just as Jesus promised, Book of the Acts of the Apostles tells us when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. The Holy Spirit came with the sound of a rushing violent wind and what seemed to be tongues of fire. And I know I've talked about this before. I know I shared it a couple years ago on my one of my first sermons here at Open Gate Church, probably mentioned it at Pentecost. 
So you're probably tired of hearing it. (laughs) But I just think this is so incredible. How this reminds us that God led the people of Israel through the wilderness in a pillar of fire. That the fire rested over a separate section of the tabernacle called the Holy of Holies. Because as we read in Exodus 26, God commanded Moses, you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, and it shall be made with cherubim, skillfully worked into it, and you shall hang it on four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold, with hooks of gold on four bases of silver. And you shall hang the veil from the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony, the throne of God, in there, within, behind the veil. And the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy. This holy of holies was God's dwelling place in the tabernacle and later the temple. God's dwelling place among the people. And this pillar of fire was God's presence. God was with them. But this veil, this curtain separated God's sinful people from his holy presence because no one was worthy to enter his holy presence because of our shared sinful nature. Otherwise, they might die. However, you may remember that as we read in Matthew 27, verses 50 to 51, when Jesus died for our sins on the cross, he cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And I just think that this one small detail that is so briefly mentioned in Matthew 25 verse 51 is so massive, is such, is of such world-changing significance. Because Jesus died so that our sins might be forgiven, the separation between God and his people was no longer necessary. The barrier between us and God, this curtain that separated God's people from his presence in the Holy of Holies, in the temple, in Jerusalem, was split in two, revealing, manifesting the way back to a restored relationship with God a relationship that God offers to all of us through his Holy Spirit. So who is the Holy Spirit who came with the sound of rushing wind and tongues as of fire to be the helper Jesus promised? He is God. Like Jesus, God the Son, the Holy Spirit is also God with us. God the Holy Spirit, the third person and the one being of the Holy Trinity, co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father and God the Son. But what is even more incredible is this. Through Jesus, as we have celebrated throughout the Christmas season, God came to dwell among us. Through the Holy Spirit, God has come to dwell in us. Yes, he came to help us fulfill our great commission, but God, the Holy Spirit, came to do so much more. 
The Holy Spirit came with what seemed to be tongues of fire and also with the sound of a rushing wind. And as we talked about, as I gave away with the children this morning, and some of you may already know that in the Hebrew Old Testament, the Hebrew word for the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is ruach, which is directly translated as breath. The Spirit of God is the breath of God. And we read in Genesis 2-7, The Lord God formed the man from dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. God gives life through his ruach, his breath, his spirit. And this is affirmed in our reading today from Paul's letter to the church in Rome. Paul shares the good news. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, who gave life to Jesus again after his crucifixion, Paul says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So we've heard according to the opening of the gospel, according to John, the revelation that all things were made through Jesus and without him was not anything made that was made. Genesis and Romans and plenty of other passages from scripture share the revelation that all life is given by and through the Holy Spirit. In the Apostles' Creed that we say together, we affirm that we believe in the Holy Spirit. What we affirm we believe about the Holy Spirit in the Apostles' Creed was later expanded upon a little bit in the Nicene Creed. We didn't add to what we believe We added to the statement of what we believe. And what we added was what we already believe because it was already revealed in Scripture. And so based on this knowledge, based on what we've read today, even from the opening of Scripture, we believe that the Holy Spirit is the Ruach, the breath of life. And based on what we read from the New Testament, from Paul's letter to the Romans, we believe that the Holy Spirit raised Christ Jesus from the dead and will also give life to us. So that in the Nicene Creed, we stand and affirm together that we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, God, the giver of life. Because the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. Through Jesus, God came to dwell among us Through the Holy Spirit, God has come to dwell in us. We are the new tabernacle, the new temple. Because of what Jesus has done for us, and because he promised and sent the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Lord, the giver of life, has breathed life into our mortal bodies so that we no longer face death, but are given life with God in his holy presence forever. So yes, this means that your body is a temple. And no, that doesn't mean that it's just because you exercise and eat right. It certainly doesn't mean we worship our bodies. But our bodies are the dwelling place of the holy presence of God. 
No longer that fiery pillar in the wilderness, no longer the holy of holies in the temple, hidden behind a veil. God has manifested his presence in each of us. Isn't that amazing? As I say, I might have talked about it before, but I do think it's worth talking about again. Because as we say together in the words of the creed, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, God, the giver of life, who is co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father and God the Son, who is co-divine with God the Father and God the Son, and who is therefore equally worthy of our honor and worship, who is to be worshipped and glorified with the Father, and the Son, for all he has done and for all he is doing in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that during this season of Epiphany, you would help us to remember and to be about your business. And we thank you, Jesus, that you have sent the gift of the Holy Spirit to help us in this task. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill the hearts of your faithful people and kindle in us the fire of your love. Direct and rule our hearts in all things. Empower us for witness and ministry. And daily increase in us your gifts and fruit. To the glory of God the Father, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.